Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about the Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in Placentia, California at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Welcome, everybody. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you guys are here. Uh, and uh, my name is Mike. We want to welcome you to Vox. Uh, we're thrilled that you are with us. Happy Father's Day for those of you who are dads in the house. Hello, dads. Anybody? Dads? Anybody? Most of us have had one, uh, at least somewhere along the line. Ah, nothing. All right. Um, there was clapping the first week, too. And, uh, and it's diminished. Um, if you are new, we want to let you know there are a couple of ways to get connected. First of all, uh, you can go onto our website, voxoc.com, and you can fill out a kind of get-to-know-you form there. And then we also uh, have little paper uh, cards that you can fill out. They're on the tables as you leave, and uh, that just lets, you, lets us know that you were here. And if you want some uh, email information about us, you can get that. Um, also, we want to pray for some dads today, only because... Uh, for some people, this is a great day, and for other people, this is a really brutal day, right? So I lost my dad, what'd you say, Jay, nine years ago? Almost 10 years ago. And you lost yours, what, six years ago? And um, for some, uh, we're estranged we're from our kids, estranged from our parents. Um, and so for many people, this is a great day of barbecue and baseball, and for others of us, it's just kind of like a day to endure. So I want to pray for us. And then uh, Big Nate Erie is going to share his, uh, his story today. So let me pray, and we'll get going. God, we thank you so much that you are a father to those of us who are fatherless, and that the way the scriptures tell the story um, is that you are good, and that you are loving, and that you are faithful to draw near to the brokenhearted. And God, we recognize today uh, that you've given us earthly parents, and for some of us, that's a great thing, and for others of us, that is a very, very hard thing. And we acknowledge that through them you gave us life. But Lord, we pray uh, that you would draw near to those of us for whom today is tough. It's a tough day today. And, um, and God, we pray most of all that you would reveal yourself as someone who is trustworthy, as someone who is caring and is faithful, who is powerful, and who is kind to draw near uh, to those particularly who are brokenhearted today. So we bless your name, God. Amen and amen. Now. My son, Nate, turns 13 tomorrow, and um, so I had him when I was really young, and, uh, and so, so big Nate, um, I'm a big fan of rite of passages, uh, if you've heard of these, it's like in, in, in cultures around the world, there, there, there are ceremonies where young men, young women kind of become, uh, or begin to be seen as adults, and so we had one of those last night for big Nate, and because he's 13, we gave him 13 challenges over the last 13 days. Uh, and the last one was to share a bit of his story uh, in front of you all. He didn't have to, but he was glad to do it. So say hi to my son, Nate. Come on out, Nate. Yep, yep. That's right. That's right. A straight genetic line. You can just see it. Um, <laughs> So, so uh, we have a huge value uh, for storytelling in our community. If you've been around, you know that. And um, we're really big fans of people who are in process. And, and so um, Nate was willing to just share a bit of his journey uh, with us today. Take it away, bud. <clears throat> Hi. If you don't already know my name, well, I just said it. It's Nate, and I am the son of your scary-looking pastor right here. <laughs> I am sick right now, or just got recovered, so don't blame me if I sound weird. Anyway, I am a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to tell you why. First of all, I grew up in a Christian family and went to church since I was little. As you can see, I still go to church, but before last year, my faith was only because of my parents. Then I think, what? Okay. Then I think all of that changed when my dad started to take me out to breakfast and talk about Bible and talk about the Bible and stuff in it. And I went to Hume Lake by myself for a week and Spiritual Emphasis Week at my school. I started to strengthen my relationship with him and started to read his word and pray to him more. I follow Jesus because I now believe in him for myself. I have seen him in action through my Down syndrome brother, Seth, and him protecting my family and me in dangerous situations like car crashes, injuries, and sicknesses. 
I have also had ups and downs in my faith. The ups include having Jesus come into my life and do things through me. Another highlight of my relationship with him is hearing his voice and strengthening my relationship with him. The downs of my faith include having doubts and wondering why God would let things happen, like Orlando, San Bernardino, and ISIS. Um, I've learned many things in my lifetime as a Christian. First, in I've... my lifetime as a Christian. <laughs> I, no, I like it. I like it. That was good. That was good. For my many y- long years. Don't correct me my grammar. Just... Okay. Jeez. First. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. First, I've learned to guard my eyes, ears, and heart on the internet, and I've also to resist temptation in everything I do. I've learned that God has gone through hard, the same hard times that I've gone through, and that he's there to support and listen to me. I feel closest to God either on a mountain and forced home family camp or in nature in general, admiring God's creation. Have I heard God speak to me? Yes. Sometimes I feel a tug on my heart to do or say something, or I think of an image or phrase in my mind explaining what I should do. Oh, shoot. <clears throat> what I would say to a non-believing seventh or eighth grader is that there is a God, and I know that. He loves you, cares for you, and he knows you better than anyone. You can never outrun God's love for you. God sent his son to die on the cross for you and your sins. So whoever believes in him will have eternal life with you, or with him. I know that God loves me, and I will continue to try to develop a better relationship with him and to serve him as best I can. In conclusion, even though I've made mistakes and have sinned, God still loves and cares for me. I will try as best as I can to serve him in whatever way, if it, <coughs> whatever way possible. Whether it is with your kids or preaching the gospel to others, I will praise and take pride in my faith in the Lord. Big Nate! Big Nate! Let's put it back. Good job, dude. So, oh, Big Nate! Big Nate! Uh, If we got any junior high girls in here, um, we're taking applications. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, uh, three, if, if you're new to our community, um, there are three core convictions that drive everything we do. First conviction is that the church exists to love and serve the world. And so that those of us who are Jesus followers exist to be poured out, um, in self-sacrificial love for the rest of the world. Uh, secondly, we believe that church should be the safest place to talk about anything. And so we, we genuinely, deeply want to be safe to belong for folks who are in the middle of all sorts of things. And to that end, we practice something called open communion, which is anyone can come to the table. It doesn't matter who you are, what you call yourself. The table is a step towards Jesus of Nazareth and the grace that waits for you. And then thirdly, and this is where Nate comes in, we, um, we desperately want to capture the hearts and the minds of the next generation. And so we don't have a youth group. We want the church to be a place that they love and, uh, and not have to go somewhere else to be entertained or kept alive for the, a few hours. Uh, and so to that end, we want, um, we want junior high, high school students singing and leading and serving and blessing and participating in the community. And so Big Nate is unfortunate enough to be the first person asked to do that. So. What I want to do this morning is uh, I want to talk a bit about uh, what, a, what a crappy week it was. Um, because, at, you know, obviously last Sunday at this time, we were all waking up to something that was horrible. And seeing not only an act of terrorism, but a specific act towards the LGBTQ community, um, it, which, you know, turns out to just be this horrific mass shooting. Um, and, and then, and then, as I as I was scrolling around Sunday and Monday, you've got 147 people dead in Kenya at a university shooting. You've got 42 people shot in Chicago. Seven of them die. Four shot in Oakland. A 16-year-old girl. One of those dies. Uh, the British prime, uh, not prime minister, one of the British lawmakers who gets shot and stabbed in broad daylight. And you just go, oh my goodness, this is this is just 
awful. And then you multiply all of that international stuff by just the gruesomeness of human life and all the stuff that we're dealing with and wrestling with. And so uh, we wanted to just look at a picture of Jesus today that speaks to this space that not all of us are in. Some of us had a great week, and hallelujah for that. Um, we don't mean to crush that. We just mean to say, you know, for lots of folks, it's been a really interesting week. And, and, and it's not just the events themselves, but then it's the debate and the dialogue and the division and the polarization that happened afterwards, right? Because according to my Facebook feed, Muslims, all Muslims are responsible, the NRA is responsible, Christians are responsible, um, uh, you know, Chick-fil-A's heroic. Um, I mean, you just have, uh, you know, I mean, you just have pro-guns and anti-guns and, and Trump will fix it or Hillary will fix it or, I mean, and you just have this, it's not just the trauma itself, but then it's everything that spirals out of the trauma. And Jesus has a word to speak uh, to us. So if you have a Bible, go to the book of John. We're big fans of folks that don't normally go to church. And so there are no expectations of you. We'll put everything up on the screen so you can follow along. We will do some singing later. And um, if you're a non-singing person, that is just fine. Uh, these Christian types, some of them like to sing. I just want to warn you, you have to be gentle and gracious with them. Uh, and because... Uh, like, we see people at athletic events standing and cheering. We see people at concerts kind of singing and their arms up in the air. Don't freak out when some of the people around you start to do that. We're just, we've got a few here that are fans of Jesus, and that's one of the ways that we show that and declare that. But you are more than welcome to just sit like this, right this, like that. I'm looking for somebody like that. <laughs> Thank you. Perfect. All right. Excellent. And what color is that shirt, Mike? It's not pink? What is it? Lavender. Awesome. It's great. I was just curious. Not a color I see often, ever, on anyone. Um, if you have a Bible, let's go to the book of John. And if you're new and you're wondering, this, this is a church, right? We didn't come. This is a church. Go to John, let's go to John chapter 11. It's a very famous Jesus story if you've been around church. Jesus, um, so Jesus has some friends, and, and he's particularly close to one family uh, that maybe consisted of more than, than three, but certainly these three are kind of mentioned often. Two sisters, Mary and Martha, and a brother called Lazarus. And according to the story, uh, Lazarus gets uh, very, very sick. And so much so that his health is in jeopardy, Jesus hears about Lazarus getting sick and waits and doesn't do anything and just stays where he is staying. Even though this is the same Jesus that's been healing people left and right, has this huge reputation as a miracle worker, blah, 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 that Jesus lets his friend die on purpose. So the story picks up with us knowing that Jesus has let his friend die on purpose. But Mary and Martha, the sisters, don't know that. So when Jesus comes strolling up, they have an interesting reaction. All right? John chapter 11, verse 38. Nope, verse 17 is what I said. On his arrival, so this is several days later, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, the four days is significant. According to Jewish, now, these are later rabbinic sources, but according to the Jews of the day, the spirit of somebody hovered over their body for three days, and during that time, resurrection was possible. So you have examples in the biblical story of people other than Jesus raising people from the dead, what well, was within that three-day time frame. Fourth day, on day number four, it was considered only the Messiah, only God himself could raise someone from the dead if they've been dead four days. So that's the significance of four days. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany, now that's a city, not a person. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Now, just a bit of context. 
What Jews, and they do this today, they, they, Jews are very, very good at grieving. Americans are not. Americans, you know, we're, we dress up, we sit in rows, we listen to a speaker, we walk out, we go to potluck, and that's what we do. The Jewish traditional, the, the, the way to mourn is something called sitting Shiva. And you have to say that very carefully. <laughs> sitting Shiva, all right? Don't repeat it. If you need to sleep, you go ahead. All right, I have no problem with you sleeping right now. Many people will be joining you in about five minutes. Sitting Shiva. So here's the idea. Shiva is the Hebrew word for seven. And the idea is that in this case, people, friends, family, even strangers would show up at Mary and Martha's place and they would sit for seven days with them in their house. They would never be alone. They would sit in the main room, and they would sit close to the floor. They wouldn't, in the, in the case of men, they wouldn't uh, trim their beards, they wouldn't cut their hair. In, in the case of women, they don't put uh, makeup on, they don't do any hair. I mean, there's not, everything is done for them for seven days. So the whole community gathers and sits there in their house for 24 hours a day for seven days. And if you want to talk, they talk. If you want to be silent, they're silent. It is beautiful. The last thing they want you to be is alone for those seven days. And so Mary is still in the house because she is sitting Shiva. Martha comes out to meet Jesus. And Martha isn't real happy with uh, our Messiah. In a... And I can hear this. I can hear her say this. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Can you hear that little guilt-inducing phrase? Hey, Jesus, hey, miracle worker. How about a little love for your friends and your family, right? If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Do you see how beautiful that is? Hey, you totally disappointed us, but I know you got an in with God. So if you want to exercise it now, that'd be fine too. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, Jews of the day believed that there would come a time when God will judge evil. He will purge creation he will purge um, evil from creation. He will, he will like refashion the heavens and the earth. And, and at that moment, everyone will rise again for judgment. That was the Jewish belief of the day. So Jesus says, no, your brother's going to rise again. And she immediately thinks, well, yeah, someday. Okay, thanks for the cliche. Martha answered, I know he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Boom. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Huge statement. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. Now, one of the grieving family had to be in the house at all times. So that's why they're one at a time out with Jesus. The teacher is here, she said to her sister, and is asking for you. And Mary heard this. She got up quickly, went on to him. Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, right, that's sitting Shiva, noticed how quickly Mary got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Do you see what they're doing? They see her leave, so what are they going to do? They're going to go with her. Last thing they want her to be is alone. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same statement. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, this phrase in English totally does not capture what's happening. Deeply moved and troubled is the word agitated. It, with a, it's, it's grief with a bit of anger. He's ticked off at something. Where have you lain him? Jesus asked the crowd. 
Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse 35. This, if you, if you were ever in Bible memory class, right? So when I was in elementary school, we literally had an after-school program where you would get extra pencils for Bible memory verses. This, verse 35 is memory Bible verse number one in all the Bible, right? Ready? Jesus wept. And everyone went, oh, see how they, how, see how Jesus loved him. Now the story goes on to tell about how Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So you realize at that moment, when Jesus looks at Mary, oh, when Jesus looks at Mary and says, he will rise again, he wasn't meaning in the future like somewhere down the road. He was meaning right now. Now, here's what's interesting. If Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, why did he weep? That's interesting to me. If, if Jesus knew, Jesus went, he delayed on purpose so that Lazarus would die, and then shows up strolling in four days later like, oh, here I am. Both sisters come out and say, dude, if you would have been here, you could have prevented this. Mary comes rushing out. Jesus, in this moment, this weird kind of moment, just all of a sudden gets angry at something. Where have you lain him, he asks. They take him over to where he is, and then he bursts out in tears. And then heals the guy. If I knew someone I love dies, but they're going to be back with me in four days, I don't know how much I'm going to cry, right? I mean, those four days are going to be awful, but if I knew four days later I'm going to see him again, okay, it was a short trip. Tell me what it was like, you know? I mean, so here, I think, is a really interesting point. Evidently, knowing that the story has a good ending doesn't preclude grieving in the middle of it. In other words, the Christian story, whether you believe it or not, the Christian story is that God made the world and everything in it, nestled human beings made in God's image into the middle of this creation. Sin and death entered the world through human rebellion, and that God has been slowly, inexorably, unmistakably working through human beings to put the world back to the way God intends. And that there will come a day when God purges evil from the world. And the prophets in the New Testament declare on that day there'll be no more suffering or crying or tears or death or pain. So that's waiting for those who believe the Christian story. And because of that, some Christians aren't very good at grieving in the middle of it. They just want to slap cliches. Have you ever been around this? Have you ever had something bad happen and someone just tells you the most ridiculous cliche in the history of the world? You ever been a part of this? My dad, withering away from cancer, a couple church folks come in and say, oh, it must be God's plan. Okay. Sure. God loves withering away from cancer. He's a fan of that. What? Or, or... <laughs> We were at the funeral for someone who loved to cook. Well, God must have needed an extra cook in his kitchen. What the is that? What does that mean? Right? Hey, God will turn it into good. And maybe all of that is true. But do you see how because the end of the story is hopeful that people want to rob us of grieving in the meantime? And so you sit in the middle of a world that's so full of darkness, we're tempted either to escape and just distract ourselves, it's not as bad as we think, and I'm just going to kind of amuse myself to death, or in church context, we're just encouraged to pretend. Like, it's not a big deal, guys. Real Christian people don't doubt about why Orlando or ISIS or whatever would happen. Real Christian marriages are never, they never struggle. Real Christian families never have conflict or blow out, right? There's this pretending thing we do. And what I love about the two simple words Jesus wept is that Jesus isn't into pretending. Jesus is far freer than his church is. 
even though we know the end of the story, and it's a good end, that does not preclude grieving in the middle of it. And I'm so tired, I'm so tired of having people who are legitimately grieving in the middle of something being corrected and shoulded by other people in the midst. We found out about our, our little boy, Seth, who, who uh, in utero, we found three months early he was going to have Down syndrome. And I'm sorry, we were not stoked. We were bummed. We were sorrowful. And there are people still mad at us that we were upset. And you're like, you know what? I'm sorry. We are human. We realize we were wrong. But in that moment, I mean, there just is no permission to be sad, to be grieving, to be heartbroken without a religious cliche being slapped on it. So when I look at Jesus, where's Jesus in the midst of this world? Oh, Jesus is weeping. Now that raises other questions. Well, he could have done this and could have done that. Yep, those are great questions. We'll talk about those another time. But for now, I want to introduce you to a word that is rich in the Christian tradition. It's the word lament. We don't know how to lament as people of God. And that the invitation as followers of Jesus is to embrace his example in these moments where we weep too. And it doesn't have to be something that's happened to us in order to weep. And it doesn't have to be something that's dear to our heart in order to weep. But one of the ways we reflect God's heart to the world is by weeping when the world is weeping. And we do that without conditions and qualifications. To lament means to name what is evil in a Godward fashion. Lament just isn't being hurt or expressing sadness, although it includes that. Lament is when the people of God, before their God, name what's wrong and out of order with the world and then call upon God to do something. That's what lament is. And the Bible is full of it, full of lament. Christian churches are not. We have sweet little red bow songs we have to end every service with. Right? We've, we've always got to make sure that we walk out of here feeling good. Well, I don't feel good. And I think that's just fine for some of us. I'm tired of hearing about how God improves my life. There are days, there are days I just want him to come and take over. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm so tired of seeing this stuff over and over and over. And so when it says this great memory verse, Jesus wept, I want you to understand the beauty of what's being done there. The God who could have prevented it and didn't. The God who knows the story's going to have a beautiful ending, and he still broke out in tears. Maybe you come from a family where that's just not allowed. Maybe you come from a faith tradition where that's just not welcomed. And we just say what lament does, lament takes something in here and it gets it out. I mean, you all know, I know, that things that have been said or done that have been very traumatic, they stay with us. It's not like you get over it automatically. It's still in there. And lament is the deep Christian tradition that brings it out. So, the reason we wanted to take this uh, opportunity this morning was because there's just a whole lot of chatter going on in the world. And I, I read or I heard something, I don't know, a couple of months ago, that reframed for me what lament turns out to be and why it's needed. So here's the story. There's a village in Australia, I'm taking this on faith, where the practice of grieving is this. Something, some family loses one of their loved ones. And then the practice in the village is that every other family, every other person in that village they change something outwardly and obviously. They rearrange their furniture. They, they shave their head. They, they, 
They put black clothes on. They, they make an obvious, obvious change. Everybody in the village does. So that the next day, when the bereaved person comes out their door, they see that the entire village has acknowledged that the world is different now. The world's different. Not for them, but for the person who's grieving. And I thought, my goodness, that's a picture of what lament is supposed to be and do when it's aimed at God and done in public. We see your grief, and we recognize your world's different now. So here's what we want to do this morning. You don't have to do this. You got little cards, correct? So we want to practice a little bit of lament. You don't have to do this if you're here just to check out how good looking our church is. I don't blame you. And we're very good looking. Um, couldn't figure out a joke to go there. But here's what I want you to do. If you would, we're, we're going to invite Izzy up. And this is Izzy, by the way, and she's, she's a bit of a rock star. And we're glad that she's with us today. Um, and uh, we um, want to give you the opportunity to write down something that is being lamented by you today. That can be the state of the world. That can be Orlando. That can be... That can be anything. It can be something that's going on with you specifically. I lament that my marriage isn't what I had hoped for. I'm not looking at you specifically, Jesse. I just, I turned, I was just <laughs> hypothetically. I, uh, baby. No, I'm sorry. I know what you're going to write. I lament what ice cream does to the figure of my husband, but that's a different thing. I, I, lament, I lament the health scare that's going on in our family. I lament the broken relationship. I lament the wrestling with this addiction. I, I lament the fact that all the middle class promises about the American dream just aren't true. I lament that I've been cast out of religious communities. I lament... Whatever it is. Don't put your name. No looking at your neighbor, at least on their sheet. After a few songs, we're, we're going to do something with those. So if you would just take a moment. Izzy's just going to uh, uh, sing a song over you. And then we'll sing a couple of songs together. Nice. Perfect. <laughs> That's good lament music. It's perfect. And uh, so if you would, just take a moment. Think. Pray, and then write down maybe one thing, two things, things that you would go before God and say, God, why? God, please do something here. And then we'll do something with these in a moment.
So whatever it is that you wrote down, we want to kind of have a corporate lament together. And the Bible has so many rich and very, very honest parts to it um, from the people of God wrestling through their disappointment and their pain. And so um, I'm going to be the speaker, coincidentally. And uh, Samantha is going to be the reader. And the congregation is... So, uh, Bruce, go ahead and put that up. So, even if, uh, even if your part isn't up, uh, I invite you to follow along with whatever it is that you've written kind of in the forefront of your mind. God of light and life, you speak even when we do not hear. Your presence, even when we do not sense, you are near us. In the midst of darkness and silence, we listen for your voice and long to feel your comforting grace. There should be a next slide. There we go. This is you, congregation. God of the desperate and brokenhearted, draw near to us as we draw near to you. Open our eyes so we can see you. Open our ears so we can hear you. As the 
deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. In this place, we join with the psalmist and freely admitting our pain, our loss, our disappointment, and our fear. In this place, we mourn without shame. Here, among God's people, we are welcome even if we're cynical, even if we're angry, even if we scoff at the mention of hope and meaning. Here, we can bear our hearts to those who will help us to bear our burden. Together. Here we, the followers of a weeping Savior, bear one another's burdens. Here in the company of Jesus, our high priest, who sympathizes with us in our weakness, may we be free to be weak and sorrowful. Together, may we, God's church, be a sanctuary of God's grace and peace for those who are weak and sorrowful. We will cast our sorrows upon Christ, for he cares for us. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And so you see the tension in the psalmist's words, right? On the one hand, why have you forgotten me? Where are you? And on the other hand, I hope, I trust, I have faith, I believe, and both are true. Paul puts it this way. He says, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. And so we live at the intersection of hope and sorrow. Because on the one hand, evil is evil, and it hurts. And if we were to each share what's really going on, the, the, the deep wounds and the trauma and the disappointments, we'd be here for weeks. And we'd be overwhelmed with the amount of sorrow and pain in this room. And yet, we can say with full assurance, as followers of this Jesus who God put forward to begin the process of making the world right, it won't always be this way. We can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, it won't always be this way. Don't know when, don't know how, it just won't always. And so we sit, like Jesus sat, in between hope and sorrow. He was going to raise the guy from the dead, and yet he weeps. We know the end of the story, and yet we weep. And you might be here, and you're like, you know, I was kind of hoping for a peppy little Father's Day talk. <laughs> this is peppy. <laughs> it just seemed in light of... What was happening in our world, this felt very appropriate. So here's what we're going to do. You don't have to do this, of course, but we're going to open up. Uh, Izzy and her crew are going to sing some more. And we're just going to open up uh, the Lord's table like we do and invite everyone to take the bread and the cup as an act of defiant hope, as an act of sorrowful worship, as an act of remembrance that Jesus does not, he's not unfamiliar with the pain and the grief this life has to offer. And we want to do it a little differently. There's, well, I need to remind you, there's gluten-free right there, only right there. It's gluten-free, only right there is the gluten-free station. Things Paul never had to say in his missionary journeys. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have vegan 
communion. Um, <laughs> but what we want you to do is uh, three things. Number one, that sheet of paper, I want you to fold it up and we want you to put it in to the, um, the silver buckets. And obviously don't put your name on it or anything um, as a way of offering it to God. And then in place, we want to do two things. Number one, take the bread and the cup. But number two, I know this is a silly thing, but we put these little black wristbands out. And it's our way of saying to the world, we see your pain. It's different. I don't ever wear things like this. And so for me, this is just my way of saying the world's different now. And, um, and to, to take these and to wear them this week is just an act of lament, an act of public declaration that we see the pain of the world, and we don't stand far away from it. And so we also will have some folks up here who, like Carolyn, are here just to pray for anything that you've got going on. Because we're also people that believe that God heals and God delivers and God answers. So around these stations, there will be prayer. That one's gluten-free. There's gluten-free prayer at that one. So if you're not a church person, there's more singing. Sorry, it's kind of what we do. You can put up with it. We're almost done. For the rest of us, uh, I invite you to participate in worship and to bring your lament, to take the bread and the cup, to put on a wristband, to walk together in solidarity as people who know what it is to suffer and to be sorrowful. So let me pray as we open things up. Father, we join um, with millions and millions of people today praising you and giving you thanks for another day of life and another day of breath and setting apart time that we could be spending doing something else, setting it apart and offering it to you. And we also realize that there is this unmistakable temptation to pretend that somehow we think here requires us to be good and not to be honest. And God, it's so clear that the reverse is true, that you're not shocked by our indifference, by our suffering, by our doubts or our fears. And so we take the bread and the cup to remind ourselves that our Jesus knows exactly what betrayal feels like, what abandonment feels like, insult and mockery, what those feel like, what unjust suffering feels like. And to be reminded that God, you did not stay far away, but you're near, and that's still true of you. And so God, for those who are... Um, really hurting today. Pray that you would draw near to them and bless them and speak to them. And for those who just aren't so sure, God, I'm always so excited to meet people you're bringing that just are skeptical of this whole deal. Lord, we just pray that you'd reveal yourself to them as uh, the beautiful Jesus who took the evil of the world upon himself in order to remake it. And so, Lord, we give you this time, and we're grateful to be together. Amen? Amen. We live at this crazy intersection, right, of grief and hope. And for some of us, you know, a moment like this is um, helpful, but it doesn't solve everything or fix everything. It's not like we leave, and it's all different. Uh, God can do that. I've found that his normal mode of operation, at least with me, is just a series of baby steps. It's what about Bob calls them. And um, if you don't know the movie reference. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's just fine to leave sad, to leave sorrowful, uh, to leave lamenting. And, um, and we want you to know this is more about the kind of community we're going to be. We're, we're not going to pretend. And uh, we, we, part of being safe to belong just means however you're here, you're here. And we're thrilled. And um, indifferent, bored, angry, we had, a, we had a great guy come in a couple weeks ago and uh, literally just led with, I think Christians are all blank. And uh, that was his opening line. And then, uh, and then stayed because a friend of his was sharing a story. And we're like, man, we are. <laughs> okay. All right. Guilty. Jesus is pretty awesome, though. Um, so we're really okay with folks that are messy and in a process. And so if that's you, we're thrilled you're here. A um, couple of thoughts as we go. Number one, uh, 
We are a community that um, desperately wants to uh, invite people into participation and not just spectatorship. And so if you go on our website, we have something called a New to Vox Dinner coming up in July. You know, we just had our first one, um, but it's a way to get people involved and invested. Um, again, fill out an info card. Those, and then for those of you that give, uh, your generosity is amazing. And um, we're so grateful to be able to do this every week because of you. Um, you can do that at the participation boxes as you walk out, and that's where those cards go as well. Um, prayer, hey, prayer folks, can you guys stick around for just a little bit and see if anyone else would love to be prayed for? And then I just want to pray a blessing over you from uh, the book of Jude. Felt, I felt kind of like a beetle today. So, hey, Jude. So if you would, go ahead and, and stand up. I know. Whatever, Def Leppard. Hey, what are you going to wear at church today? I got my Def Leppard t-shirt. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, makes me happy. Are you old enough? Okay. All right. All right. I mean, it's just, I'm tired of these 20-something. Well, you're 20-something. You're not 42. You're not 42. No. No, you are not. Oh my goodness, you're missing this most incredible conversation we're having right here. <laughs> She's 42, and I, I literally was thinking I was going to insult her if I slammed 20-somethings. And, and she's like, no, double that, and I'm fine. <sighs> I'm just tired of, of, of like teenagers hopping on the 80s bandwagon and thinking they own it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, that's my music. You don't get that. You get Bieber, okay? <laughs> that's yours. Justina. That's what I was lamenting. My wife loves Justin Bieber right now. I'm sorry I'm killing time. The book of Jude is hidden right behind. I know. There it is. All right. So I want to pray this blessing over you today. And it just seems very, very fitting. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. Participate in the Vox community at voxoc.com slash participate.